rank order which of these you're most likely to do, the least likely to do, and, um, and then write down your reasons why you rank them that way. And then we continue on with the scenario, then we stop it again, decision point two. And we might say, Francesca, here are three different goals that you might pursue. Rank order how important they are, and, uh, and then write down your reasons why. And then we continue on. Then we might stop it again and say, Francesca, at this point, here are five different pieces of information that you could try to obtain. Rank order which you're going to monitor, which you're going to look for most carefully, to least carefully, and write down your reasons. And it just goes on like that. Now, we've also had a small panel of about maybe three experts, maybe no more than, than five. They've gone through the same scenario you've seen. They've done their ranking, and they wrote down their reasons. So when you rank the options about what you're going to do or what goals are important or what cues you're going to be watching out for more carefully, after you've done your ranking, we show you what the experts ranked. And you want your ranking to match the experts. So that, that's kind of the, uh, the challenge. But the real learning comes in when you look at what the experts wrote, what was their reasoning. Mm-hmm. And you see the kinds of implications they spotted, the kinds of worries that uh, uh, they surfaced, the kinds of uh, inferences they drew. And you just see how much they got out of the same scenario that you read but they saw much more deeply into the scenario. And so that's how you're seeing the world, at least this scenario, through their eyes. But they don't have to be there because we've already gathered their information. That's how Shadowbox works. And we can present it by software or in, in groups, the group discussions, lots of different ways. And how did you get involved in all this? Well... Um, early on in my career, I studied how do people actually make decisions. And that was the work that you alluded to at the very beginning, Francesca, with firefighters. We got a contract from the Army to study uh, how do people make tough decisions under extreme time pressure and uncertainty. And we thought, you know, you're comparing a couple of options, maybe just two, no more than three, because time pressure. And we started interviewing the firefighters. And they said, no, we never compare options. We don't even think we make decisions. We just know what to do. Mm-hmm. And, and we said, you just know what to do. And we've just gotten this contract from the Army to study how firefighters make decisions. And now they're telling us they don't make any decisions. So we were really quite unnerved by that. Mm-hmm. And, we said, and we said, how do you know what to do? And they said, it's just procedures. You follow the procedures. And we said, okay, before we, we leave, because there's no decision-making here, can you show us the procedure manuals? And they said, oh, it's not written down. You just know. <laughs> and, and An unwritten realize, law. Okay, Save lives. <laughs> something really is going on here. And we found out that they said they weren't making decisions because they weren't comparing options. But they were making decisions. There were options, even though they didn't wrestle with them, they were using their intuition. And uh, so that the first mystery was how can you make life and death decisions under extreme time pressure and uncertainty? That's what their experience bought them. They were able to build a rich mental model of what was going on. And when a, new situ- when a situation arose, they could say, it's this type of situation. Here's what I need to do. So when you said, Francesca, 
that following your hunch, 90% of the decisions we make, we're, we're using our intuition. That was what we found in, in, in our research. And these were for the really tough decisions. For easier decisions, it's even higher than that. And the reason that the firefighters, the reason all of us can be successful is that we, we rely on our experience. So intuition isn't a question of extrasensory perception or anything occult like that. It just happens because we're able to draw in our experience to recognize situations and not have to analyze it. What are all my options? What are all the ways to evaluate them? Let me set up a matrix. We don't go through any of that. So that's how intuition works for firefighters and for the rest of us. So under what conditions are intuitions worthy of trust? Under no conditions. You should never completely trust your intuition oh unless you're so time-pressured that there's really no other option. Uh, because that's the second thing that we learned, is after your intuition tells you what to do, what, the, what happens for the firefighters is they would say, um, okay, this is my, uh, what, what my intuition is telling me to do. Now let me play it through in my mind and see if it'll work in this specific situation. And so they imagined it. And if it, in imagining it, if it worked out nicely, then they were ready to, to, to take action and to commit. If it almost worked, then they would find some ways to improve the option, to, to modify it, to make it more, more effective. And if it didn't, they couldn't find any way to improve it so that it was satisfactory, they'd say, forget about that. What else does my intuition tell me is possible here? So that's the way they were, they were evaluating and consciously examining uh, the results of their intuition. You know, so just to say trust your intuition, um, you want to listen to your intuition, but you don't want to completely trust it without thinking about how it might apply in this situation, because sometimes our intuitions can mislead us. Well, plus we all come from our own frame of reference, right? And, you know, I think like overconfidence can be um, a powerful source of illusions. Um, you know, if people can construct a simple and coherent story, they'll feel confident regardless of how well-grounded it is in reality. It, you know, it's kind of like talking a dog off a meat wagon. If someone thinks a certain way, do you, do you hear where I'm coming from? Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's the way, you know, we, we tend to act. But for, for issues, for decisions that are important to us, um, we construct a story. It seems good. It seems plausible. But there's this other step of let me look at it and, and think about it more, more clearly. Um, let me see, if, is it plausible in this situation? Is there anything in this current situation that I need to take, uh, to, to take notice of? Mm. And so looking at firefighters, looking at, say, uh, physicians, you know, they, they immediately can size up a patient and, and be very accurate about what's wrong with the patient. But there's still a part of them that's aware that they might be wrong. And so the good physicians are just, um, they're mm -hmm. just on high alert for any discrepancies, mm -hmm. anything that doesn't quite fit the story. Because if you've sized it up wrong, then there are going to be those discrepancies. And as you get into the situation, the discrepancies are going to increase rather than decrease. Mm -hmm. The problem I see that people run into 
is that they fixate on their initial impression and they explain away the discrepancies or ignore them right. rather than thinking about them and being curious about them. Well, right. That's that's what I'm saying. That's what I was saying is that I, I think sometimes that we can construct a simple, you know, coherent story, and it's, you know, we're, we just believe it no matter what. Um, but anyway, uh, we need to take a break. When we come back, I want to know if intuition is more reliable under certain circumstances. So listeners, don't go anywhere. Stay with us here. This is This is Talk with Francesca. I'm Francesca Luca. We'll talk more in just a bit on 95.9 WATD. Looking for a unique experience to dining? Rio Brazilian Steakhouse brings an authentic Brazilian flavor with a great atmosphere to the restaurant scene in Plymouth. The interior is warm and welcoming, and the buffet style offers a relaxed atmosphere while offering fine dining with the traditional rodizio style from Rio, the heart of Brazil. Come dine and watch your dishes being prepared and cooked over the grill. Plymouth's best-kept secret, Rio Brazilian Steakhouse offers a full buffet daily, along with wine and beer. Rio Brazilian Steakhouse is located at 318 Court Street in Plymouth and is open seven days a week. For an unforgettable experience from start to finish, visit them at riosteakhouserestaurant.com. You'll be glad you did. Does your home reflect your personal style? Do you love spending time in every room of your home? Is your home healthy, clutter-free, organized, environmentally safe, breathable and green? Does balance, harmony and happiness flourish in your home, within you and your family? If not, you might just want to meet Cherise Moray. She is passionate about helping you create interior spaces that are healthy with an eco-twist using her signature framework of release, renew, Revitalize the three R's. Her mission is to give you the tools you need to trade toxic for tranquil, clutter for clarity, and hazard for health. These are just samplings of the many changes Cherise can help you make in your home. Learn more at CherieseMoray.com to get started on your eco journey and wait for your friends to ask how you did it. Email Cherise at cm at CherieseMoray.com or call 610-505-8695 to experience the transformation in your home that she's known for. You won't be disappointed. Located in Boston's North End holds one of our best-kept secrets, Antico Forno, ranked number nine of the top ten Italian restaurants around the world within the category of being one of the most authentic. With a welcoming family feel, it's hard to argue the experience you have when enjoying dinner at Antico Forno. Best known for their brick oven pizza, their world-class traditional cuisine does not fall far behind. Come enjoy dinner at Antico Forno and feel like part of the family. Open daily from 11.30 a.m. until 10 p.m. Call us today at 617-723. 6733 or visit us at anticoforno boston.com. I'm Francesca Luca and you're listening to Talk with Francesca on 959 WATD. All right, we are back and I am speaking with Gary Klein, seeing what others don't. We are discussing intuition. And that is the name of his book, Seeing What Others Don't, The Remarkable Ways We Gain Insights. Welcome back, Gary. Yes, thank you, Francesca. So before the break, I asked you, is intuition more reliable under certain circumstances? Yes, clearly it is. And this is a a project that I did with uh, uh, Daniel Kahneman, uh, who won a Nobel Prize for his work with Amos Tversky 
uh, on decision-making. And uh, Danny and I came at intuition from opposite ends. I was very impressed uh, with uh, the intuition of, of people like firefighters, and Danny was very skeptical about people's intuition. And uh, so we, we tried to create a, a joint project to understand under what conditions is intuition work more effectively. And we identified several conditions. First of all, your intuitions are going to be more successful if the situation is fairly coherent, fairly stable, and, uh, and, 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 and nicely de uh, defined. The more chaotic it becomes, uh, the less reliable your intuitions are going to turn out to be, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, second, your intuitions are going to be better as you've had a chance to gain feedback from previous, ex or previous experiences. So you might have made decisions. Have you been able to see if the, if the uh, decision turned out well or poorly? And uh, if, to the extent that you've been able to, uh, to get that kind of feedback, um, there will be a second condition that would give you more confidence in the intuitions uh, that, that you have. And I guess the third condition would be not only having the, the feedback, but have you really absorbed it? Have you studied it? Have you reflected on it and learned the lessons, particularly when your intuition uh, didn't turn out well? Have you diagnosed why, uh, what went wrong so that you can build a richer mental model? So those, those are the circumstances that would lead you to have more accurate uh, intuitions. Also, Francesca, I'd like to close a loop. You had asked me earlier um, about the Shadowbox method and where did that come from. I just want to close that loop. Uh, having done the research on decision-making, the next question for us was, how do you train decision-making skills? And for many years, we were unable to find effective methods that we could feel comfortable with for training intuition until we ran into uh, the work of, of my friend Neil Heinz, uh, the firefighter, and the shadow box method. So that's how we, we arrived at shadow box was a way to try to tr uh, improve decision-making skills. Great. Thank you for that. Um, Gary, as a researcher and storyteller, you preach about the power of stories as learning tools. So how do we use stories to strengthen and apply our intuitions? Okay, so stories are, are memorable, and they're coherent, and they're a collection of the various um, causes that we understand in a situation. And we weave those stories together. We weave those causes together to try to create a story of what's gone on up to now and to project in the future what's likely to go on uh, from here on in. So we're building a story um, but a good story isn't just a collection of causes or facts. A good story should also create insights. So when, when you listen to somebody, some, you know, Francesca, sometimes people say, you know, here's a story, let me tell you what happened to me today. And they tell you like a litany of, mm -hmm. of the events that they went through, but there's no story. There's no takeaway. There's no excitement. There's no insight. And so that's not really a story. It's, it's just sort of a... Uh, an empty narrative. It's just sort of a, a collection of events rather than a story that, that, that has uh, a conclusion and that has some surprises and some twists. Another feature of a good story 
as we're building it or as we're listening to it, is our judgment of plausibility. Mm-hmm. Does this make sense? Does right. each stage in the story leading to the next stage, does that make sense to me that that could have happened? And if it doesn't, is something is there something wrong with the story or are there things missing from the story so that you can start to ask more questions and deepen the story? Mm. Sometimes a good story can get... Uh get uh, ruined by the uh, you know they're, they're, it's not necessarily really a good sometimes people have a story and it's, that's all it really is is a story and it's sort of ruining the facts do you know what I'm saying <laughs> right <laughs> so right. Um, and what about bias you right know? what about bias so this was part of my discussions with Daniel Kahneman because his Nobel Prize was in with Amos Tversky was about um, uh, heuristics and about biases. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I'm much less um, uh, captivated by the notion of bias because I think a lot of the times when biases are demonstrated, it's demonstrated in studies uh, with with college sophomores performing tasks they've never seen before. And most of us aren't in that situation. We have an experience base that we can draw on. Now, experts sometimes will show will show biases, and, and, and the decision research community has demonstrated that, but it's usually not nearly as unnerving as people have, uh, sometimes claim it to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's funny. I, was, I don't know what made me think of this, but I, for whatever reason, I was thinking about, like, a dysfunctional situation. Right. And the way that people think and that they gather facts, but that it's so dysfunctional that it really they're they're believing something that really isn't so. Does that make sense? Uh, we we have uh, our imaginations allow us to, to fool ourselves and right. to delude ourselves. Right. And uh, that's always, always dangerous. And you say just stick to the facts. But. But it's not that simple because right. which facts? There's always right. lots of facts, and sometimes, you know, sometimes what seems to be a fact turns out not to be a fact. Uh, I'm thinking about the, um, the the horrible tragedy of, of the um, Boeing uh, crashes, mm-hmm. where the mm-hmm. Boeing Max was a system, a very you know sophisticated system, designed to work very effectively as long as it was operating under accurate facts. And when one of the sensors turned out to, uh, to, to be generating incorrect data, this, the, uh, the system failed and, and created uh, problems that some pilots were able to recover from, but in a few cases these, these two crashes were unable to recover from. So sometimes what seems to be a fact, on a closer inspection, uh, the, the data were wrong. Uh, you're working with sensors, and the sensors may be giving you uh, incorrect information. Right, right. So when you were writing this book, seeing what others don't, were there any head-snapping revelations? Yes. Um, Let me tell you how I came to write this book. It's a book about insights, and um, I never really set out to to write this book. I would give talks about the importance of experience, and, and the importance of um, not just, you know, how do you improve performance? And I would show a slide, and the slide said, if you want to improve performance, 
you've got to reduce errors. Everybody agrees with that. But that's not enough. You can't. You don't want to go home at the end of the day and say, I had a great day. I didn't make any mistakes today. Well, you could have stayed home and not made any mistakes. Right. You want more than that. Right. So it's not just reducing errors. It's increasing insights. It's a blend of the two. So I present this slide, and audiences would, would re respond to it. But then I get a question, and the question was, okay, where, what, tell me about these insights. Where do insights come from? And I hadn't ever studied insights, so I didn't know. And I got asked that question enough times that I said, it's time to do a research project. So I collected 120 examples of insights and tried to sort out what was the common theme. And the first insight that I had was there wasn't one common theme. That was sort of frustrating. But digging deeper and, and studying harder what was going on in these, in these incidents, I realized that there were three different pathways to creating insights. One pathway is um, taking various pieces of information and putting them together and seeing how they connect in a way that others hadn't noticed. So that's maybe the most common pathway to generate insights. But a second pathway is having pieces and that should go together and realizing they don't go together. It's not plausible. So it's not the connection, it's the disconnection mm -hmm. that is startling you. Uh, I'll give you a short example of that, uh, one of the examples from my book. Um, this police officer told me about it. He was riding with uh, a, a new officer, and he was supervising the new officer, and they're in the, the squad car, and there's traffic. They're stuck in traffic and um, waiting for the light to turn. And the young officer said, huh, what just happened? And the car ahead was a brand-new BMW. And the driver of the brand-new BMW had taken a drag on his cigarette and just flipped the ashes. And the young officer was startled. Who flicks the ashes in a brand-new brand BMW? Right. That doesn't make Makes sense. sense, right. But, you know, and they, they, they pulled him over. Sure enough, it was a stolen car. Well, wow, that's pretty. Uh, that, that's pretty amazing. That is quite a story. We do. <laughs> we do need to take another short break. When we come back, I'd like to know the most significant differences between inf um, intuition and insight. Listeners, don't go anywhere. We will be right back. This is life. This is Talk with Francesca. I'm Francesca Luca. We'll talk more in just a bit on 95.9 WATD. Are you starting to notice fine lines and wrinkles, increased anxiety and fatigue, skin laxity, or stubborn areas of fat that just won't budge despite your efforts? What is your body trying to tell you? With the power of Powell, you'll love the skin you're in. Some of the many services Jennifer Powell offers are Botox, Sculptra, Volume Restoration, laser hair removal, body contouring, and skin tightening. Get to the root of the aging process and back to the best version of you, together. It's a fresh start with the power of Powell because with Jennifer, it is more than skin deep. For your convenience, she has two locations, one in Kingston and her new location in Hanover in Merchants Row. Call 781-605-5699 or visit her at jlprn.com to schedule your complimentary consultation today. 
Jennifer and her team of specialists look forward to helping you understand your beauty from within. The new Cobblestone Cafe on Hanover Street in Boston brings casual, on-the-go American fare to the North End, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Open daily at 7 a.m., Cobblestone Cafe offers burgers, barbecue, salads, fries, milkshakes, seafood, and the very popular Snickerdoodle iced coffee. Delivery and catering are also available. Cobblestone Cafe, 227 Hanover Street in Boston. For more information, call 857-263-8057 or visit them online at cobblestonecafene.com. Hey, long time no see. You look amazing. Thanks. I just came from my hair appointment with Thomas Negrelli at Rebel Hair Studio. Thomas Negrelli? Yeah, Thomas Negrelli. He specializes in cuts, color, blowouts, braids, and even makeup. I have been thinking about changing up my look. Then call him at 774-404-1872. Could you say that number again? 774-404-1872. Thanks. I'm calling him now. Looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you might just want to venture out to Boston this weekend and dine at Terra Mia Ristorante, a true gem among all those rhinestones in Boston's North End. This cozy tutorial with stucco walls and beam ceilings specializes in creative interpretations of Italian classics. Like the cuisines here, the atmosphere is elegant yet understated. Since opening in 1993, Terramia Ristorante has aimed to convince diners that there's always more to Italian food than just red sauce. Over the years, the innovative and beloved restaurant has done a great deal of convincing, and best of all, it's reasonably priced. This best-kept secret is worth the trip. Call 617-523-3112 or visit TerramiaRestaurante.com. You're listening to Talk with Francesca. I'm Francesca Luca. The talk continues on 95.9 WATD. All right, we are back, and I am speaking with Gary Klein. He is the author of Seeing What Others Don't, The Remarkable Ways We Gain Insights. Welcome back, Gary. Thank you. So before the break, I asked you, what are the most significant differences between intuition and insight? Right. So at first glance, you you think they're probably pretty close. Yeah. Uh, They sound like they're the same sort of thing, but actually they're almost opposite. Intuition is how we draw on the things we already know. We draw on our experience, and we're able to apply our experience to make sense of new situations and size up situations quickly, and usually very accurately. Intuition is the opposite. It's not drawing on things we already know, although we, we, we use our experience. It's the way we come up with discoveries. We discover things we didn't know before. And so intuition is, is a way of just relying on, on, on experience, and insight is a way of going beyond what we already knew uh, to come uh, up with uh, things that we hadn't even imagined. And we, people sometimes think that insight is something that um, falls in the province of, of, you know, you have to be really a genius or, or uh, somebody who's, uh, highly uh, acclaimed in different areas to come up with insights. But the fact is, all of us are capable of having insights, and most of us do have insights throughout a day where we make discoveries. We don't celebrate them the way we ought to. If, if we get things wrong, we kick ourselves. 
But sometimes we make discoveries and we don't pat ourselves on the back the way we should. Well, my dog trainer says that I should give my dog a treat when he's doing very well, not not when he's doing badly. (laughs) I've got a new puppy, and that's what she says. Just, you know what, give him a treat when he's just doing great, you know, just (laughs) instead of, you know, uh, you know, like screaming at him when he does something wrong. But anyway, all right. So, so practically speaking, so I'm, I'm thinking about this and, you know, today everything is about mindfulness. Be in the present, fresh eyes, right? And our minds are continuously comparing previous stored experiences, though, you know, with the current situation awareness, right? Is that what we're talking about here? So how do we stay present yet mindful of a potentially dangerous situation? Um, Well, there are times to be more on guard than others. And so we, we, we can't be like on hyper alert all the time. That would be exhausting. Um, but there, through, our, through the experiences that we've had, we can often get a sense something's not right in this situation. Something strikes us as anomalous, even if we can't identify what it is. And so that, that can raise our, our awareness. That can raise our alertness. So that's, that's I think, would, would be a big part of it. But there's there's another part of it, which I think is basic to, to generating insights, and that's the power of curiosity. And that's the power to notice something uh, is, uh, uh, isn't quite fitting in, like with the story I told you about the police officer. Right. Or there's a, a connection here that I hadn't ever realized. And let me explore what's happening. And the problem with curiosity is that so much in our lives squelched curiosity. Right. So much, so many times we get the message, just follow the rules. You know, don't think, don't try to interpret, don't, you know, you know go off the reservation, just stay, you know, just, just do what you're supposed to in an unthinking fashion. Oh, was and, that what happened in we, my childhood? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Look at look at school situations where yeah. teachers are not fostering curiosity; they're 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 fostering obedience, right. and uh, and it, it, it's really um, pretty uh, unhappy to see how how uh, how much curiosity gets squeezed out of us. Right. Well, that's exactly right. Well, but what about Steve Jobs? Right. What about Steve Jobs? Uh, so curiosity doesn't get squeezed out of all of us. <laughs> and there are people who... Well, he um, believed in... Intu- uh, he was a big uh, fan of intuition, wouldn't you say? Uh, he was. Um, well, so let, let, let's look you know, more at him. Part of it was uh, he had a very low need to be accepted by other people. He didn't mind irritating people. Uh, especially right. the people who work for him. Right. So he he wasn't going to be uh, cowed into into submission or to, to to stifling his own curiosity. Second, he had a a, a, a real gift for um, what people would resonate to. Now Steve Jobs wasn't really a programmer, and uh, you know. Um, when, when his contemporaries, when, when Gates and others found out that Jobs didn't program, 
they were sort of uh, uh, contemptuous of him. You know, he's, he's in the computer business, but he's not a programmer. But in fact, Jobs was aware of the experience that he was creating with the devices that, uh, that he and his company were, were inventing. And so he didn't do market research. He would look at, he, he sort of felt that he could draw on his own emotional reactions to know what would delight his customers and what would not. And so he, he was, you know, phenomenally effective at that. Okay. All right. So how do we go about developing, I mean, like really, really developing intuition? And, and I'm, what I'm think, what's going through my mind is meditation, because that's a time when we really quiet ourselves down and we can listen for, for answers. Does that make sense? It makes sense when you say it, Francesca, but I'm not sure that it actually works because I specifically went through, when, when I studied, when I studied, I'm thinking now about insight more than intuition. When I studied the 120 examples of intuition, I would have thought that people could induce insights in themselves by meditating and calming themselves and, um, and, and just trying to get into, into that special place. And not a single uh, one of the 120 examples of insights were created by people deliberately trying to create a quiet place. So that's about insight. What about intuition? Right. Um, can you be aware of your intuitions by trying to screen things out? Possibly. I haven't studied that, but I, I suspect that times when we need our, in, our intuitions the most are times when we can't go off and meditate. Right. When we're in a, an unfamiliar neighborhood or something has just happened or something is going on with traffic and we don't know what it is and we just have a sense this, this doesn't feel right. I'll tell you another story. Um, there was a Brazilian race car driver uh, back in the 1950s, Juan Fangio, and he was very successful, and he was leading the race, and he was coming around towards the final turn, and as he's coming into the turn, something struck him that this isn't right. And later on, he was able to unpack what it was. He expected to see all the faces of the fans in the stands looking at him, and instead... He didn't see hardly any faces looking at him. He, it was the he was seeing the back of their heads. He just saw uh, darkness rather than their faces. He didn't know what it was, but it unnerved him, and he slowed down. Huh. And what it was was there had been an accident up ahead huh. on the other side of the turn, and everybody was looking at the accident, uh, which had involved cars that were much slower than his, and that's why he didn't see any of the faces. So he immediately saw something, and his intuition said, this doesn't feel right. Something is wrong here, and, uh, and he probably saved himself from crashing in, in, into the wreckage. So there was no time for him to say, hmm, I wonder what's going on here. Let me just climb down in my, my race car going about 150 miles an hour and see if I can sort it out. He, in an instant had to respond to something that wasn't making sense. How much of a, a, a role does our subconscious play in uh, intuition? I think it's mostly subconscious, and that's why people think that intuition is a cult, because it's not something that we reason about. 
It comes from experiences we've had in the past that we've combined into various patterns. And we see a situation that either matches the pattern or with the case of Juan Fangio, it doesn't match the pattern. And it gives us the immediate intuitive sense, things are okay, things are not okay, here's what I need to do. And we don't know where it comes from because it's not a, a, pro a product of our conscious deliberation. So it's almost all subconscious. That doesn't mean that it's uh, a cult or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's about being skilled. So we do need to take another short break, but when we come back, I would love to know your opinion on do women have more intuition than men? Listeners, stay with us here. Don't go anywhere. This is life, don't miss it. This is Talk with Francesca. I'm Francesca Luca. We'll talk more in just a bit on 95.9 WATD. Your dog is a very good dog. Show the world with positive at-home training from the Everyday Dog. Stephanie Delaney from the Everyday Dog provides one-on-one -on -one training for puppies, adult dogs, and rescue dogs, teaching manners and obedience, behavior modification, and even potty training for all ages. Teach your dog to be less fearful, reactive, or aggressive, and enjoy time that might have been stressful in the past with proven pet-friendly techniques that do not involve painful collars or devices. For pricing, reviews, and to begin making the most of your time with that special canine, visit TheEverydayDog.com. Tides is beachside dining at its best all year round. Located at the end of the Nahant Causeway, directly on Nahant Beach, the ocean views from the dining room and the pub can't be beat, no matter what the season. Nominated for Best of the North Shore from North Shore Magazine for Best Alfresco Dining, Best Kid-Friendly Restaurant, Best Lobster Dinner, and Best Water View. Why would you go anywhere else? Whether you choose their dining room, a frosty pint at their bar, or a sun-drenched deck on the Hunt Beach, they guarantee you great atmosphere with super food and service. Their menu is full of fresh, high-quality seafood, prime rib, chicken, pasta, and pizza that everyone will love. Check out their drink menu for fun cocktails, 30 ice-cold beers on tap, and their well-rounded wine list with their state-of-the-art tap wines. They feature full-service lottery and kino. Tides is the place to watch any big game. They have over 20 HD TVs. At Tides, they specialize in casual dining with food that's just delicious, not pretentious. Tides is a fantastic restaurant anytime, summer or winter, lunch or dinner, rain or shine. Your pets are family. Take your dog to the Dog's Den in Pembroke. Your furry friend will go from smelling crummy to yummy because Leah at the Dog's Den really cares. Whatever your pet's needs are, from dematting to extra scissoring, the Dog's Den in Pembroke has your furry friends covered. So call the Dog's Den today at 781-826-7008 or visit thedogsdengrooming.com. This is life, don't miss it. Hey, this is James Woods, and you are listening to Talk with Francesca. On 95.9 WATD. All right, we are back, and I am speaking with Gary Klein. We are talking about his book, Seeing What Others Don't, The Remarkable Ways We Gain Insights. Welcome back, Gary. Thank you. Thank you, Francesca. So, do, are women more um, intuitive than men? So... Are there any minefields you would like me to walk through? Because I think that would be safer than trying to answer that question. But well, well I, I mean, I think I, okay. Well, I I mean, I'm, I mean, look, scientifically speaking, it, I guess okay. is the question. <laughs> is the question not whether you 
think. Um, <laughs> right. You know, because right. because yeah. I don't I don't know that I mean I I know some very intuitive men and I know some men that are not so intuitive and I know some real um, dopey women <laughs> and then there are some very intuitive women as well. But um, you know, I just think that women tend to be more. Uh, well, never mind. I'll let you answer the question since I asked you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll okay. let you get yourself so, in trouble rather than me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Francesca. So, um, I think in general, no. I, I think men and women are equally uh, able to, to have and use intuition. But there's two caveats that I want to bring up. One, intuition is a product of our experience. And I think women tend to be more um, sensitive to social interactions and, uh, and social events that, than men are. Women are, are scanning uh, the, the, the reactions of the people around them in ways men probably are not and have probably picked up, uh, you know, developed uh, stronger ideas and, and better patterns. Mm-hmm. I think in the area of social, social interactions, I, I don't have any evidence for this, mm-hmm. but I would expect that women would be um, more likely uh, to have intuitions and more likely to have um, skilled intuitions, but I don't have any data on that. The other part of it is um, I think men tend to be more eager to calculate things out and to try to boil things down and to deliberate and to um, sort of uh, identify what are the options here and uh, and what's the evidence, which moves them in the opposite direction of intuition. And one problem that we have with, with intuition is that it's fairly perishable. So if you tell people um, you've got a decision to make, um, if I start calculating out what are my, the various options and possibilities, it's going to be too late to consult with my intuition. I should have started with my intuition. So I think men, some men may have a tendency to go too quickly to this kind of calculating type of mindset that will get in the way of, of their intuition, and, and they'll miss their intuitions. Mm-hmm. What do you think about first impressions? Um, I think that's what a lot of our intuition consists of is initial impressions. Again, we can be wrong. We're not infallible. Right. And the conditions I described before would make our first impressions more accurate. Um, but uh, I, I think the populations I've studied, like, like physicians, their initial impressions, or firefighters, their initial impressions are extremely accurate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, exactly, exactly. So I want to talk to you a little bit about creativity. Um, because creative people, um, they, they seem that they're very, very intuitive. I mean, what, what would be the relationship between the two? Um, or is that just I my would, imagination? So let, let's be careful about the terms, because I don't think creative people... Um, you're saying that they're intuitive because they're, they're, they're using ideas that pop into their heads rather than the results of deliberate problem solving. 
and and I and I think what's what's uh, for me what's more interesting is that they're 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 generating insights, and the insights happen without warning, without uh, you know deliberate analysis. So that that's why it feels so accidental. And there are people who seem to operate in that mode very often. For me, creativity is a question of generating insights. And as, as I describe in, 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 in my book, the pathways to insight are putting pieces together to see connections and combinations that others hadn't noticed, or seeing that the pieces don't fit, something is wrong with the situation, and noticing that and then diagnosing what's wrong with the situation. I, you know, and when, the third, there's I'm a sorry. third pathway I should mention, yep. which is realizing sometimes we get trapped by the assumptions we've been making. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that case, to try to escape the fixation that we started out with. And that's a third path for, for generating insights is to free ourselves from assumptions that are crippling us. Mm-hmm. I, well, I think when we're in a creative mode, we're kind of in a flow. And, and I, I think that... It, well, at least for for me, um, you know, I'm you know just a, a rookie artist, but I know that when I'm painting, and I can once I start to get into the flow, I I do notice that I do have I don't know whether I would call it insight or intuition. I'm not really sure, but I, I you know I remember um, it's just I remember this lesson um, that I sort of felt that I got out of painting one day. This was many 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 years ago, but. It's always very quick to temper, um, and, um, you know, if something was wrong, I wanted to jump in, and I wanted to fix it, and so when I, and I wanted it to be perfect, and what I noticed when I was painting is that if I didn't like the way the painting was turning out, um, I would do the exact same thing. I would start, you know, trying to uh, paint over the paint and um, wouldn't be letting the paint dry, and then the paint would get all, you know, muddy, and the colors would turn out horrible, and and one day, I don't know why, but I just decided I was going to stop. I That wasn't the way I was going to do it. I was going to step back. I was going to look at the painting. I thought, I don't like the way this painting is coming out, and I would walk away from it, and I started this new pattern of, you know, when something doesn't feel like it's coming out right or it's turning out right rather than keep working at it and going at it and going at it and trying to fix it it just makes it worse and so I taught myself a lesson in both painting as well as in life is if something doesn't feel like it's working out the way I would like it to that it's best to step back you know take a few deep breaths many deep breaths walk away from it for what may be a day Sometimes it could be a week. Sometimes it might be six months. So I sort of put art and life in the same. Am I going off onto a tangent, or does that make sense to you, what I'm saying? It, it does make sense. And, and for me, uh, an important lesson here is um, <clears throat> what happens when we become excessively uh, critical mm. and self-critical. Mm. And then we're, we're, we're more concerned about mistakes and what's wrong and... And that becomes the focus of the attention. What you said at the, at the beginning of, of, of that uh, discussion of your painting is sometimes you get in the flow. And it sounds like when you're in the flow, you're not self-critical. You've somehow shed that self-critical mindset, and you're looking at possibilities and, the, and, the, and exciting opportunities 
in what in what you're developing, and and, and that's what the enthusiasm is is what's carrying you along. And I think that's an important shift in mindset to stop being excessively self-critical and to look at uh, at the possibilities and the potential. Well, Albert Einstein said we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them, right? So. <laughs> 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 okay, I know that we're, um, you know, we have a, a time um, issue with you, Gary, so I want to just be mindful of that. Just want to ask you before we wrap it up, what's the role of intuition in important relationships such as romantic partners? Um, well, I, I, I know that's I, a loaded I, question, too. Well, we've got we've got the four or five minutes, so. <laughs> okay, <laughs> right. All right, so I think what intuition, what, what's happening there is that your intuitions are telling you things that you, you may not, you know, deliberately want to, want to face. You're picking up cues and mm. you're um, noticing things that need to, you need to pay attention to. I remember, I remember a, a friend of mine who was, uh, having difficulty with with his his wife, and uh, and and he you know he he said, I think we can make it work. Um, I think you know, um, you know my wife tells me that that she loves me, and so I think we're going to be able to make this work. And I was after that I was sitting with them in, in their living room, and I watched the two of them together. And every time he, he sort of moved closer to her to touch her. She would withdraw. I mean, she, she didn't even want to be touched by him. Huh. And so he was responding to what she was saying. Right. But That's the not... body language was so clear, and I thought, this marriage is over. And, in fact, it was over in the, in the next few months. But he, he didn't want to face that. He was just focused on the words and, and on, on, the, um, on, on the rational analysis that he was drawing. And that was a mistake. The intuitions about... Um, what's happening, and how is the relationship feel comfortable? Does it feel uh, is, is there trust? All of those things are intuitive uh, judgments that we make, and sometimes you know what what started out in the relationship might have evolved, and so you can't think about what was it like three or four years ago. You, you need to be sensitive to where it is now and people can can fool themselves and uh and not face the reality the reality isn't the objective facts about whether the spouse is saying no i still love you right um the objective reality is the spouse doesn't even want you to brush up against her right it might be that she she uh, still loves the lifestyle, but not necessarily him. With just about two right. minutes, with just about two minutes left, Gary, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to share with our listening audience? Um, if you, if if the audience would like to to know more about the kinds of things that we're doing, should I uh, tell them about the website? Or absolutely, any of those? absolutely. Okay, so there's. Uh, if you, People who are interested in Shadowbox, the website there is www.shadowboxtraining. That's all one word, shadowboxtraining.com. And my own personal website is www.gary-klein.com. So a few different ways to find out more about what I've, I've been doing. And, Francesca, I want to... 
thank you for this opportunity to to have such a delightful conversation. Oh, well, thank you, Gary. It's been very, very interesting. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. All right. All right, we've got to wrap things up and say goodnight. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. See you next week, same time, same place. Make it a great week. Summer feels upon your skin